CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders, while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode of The Hash is sponsored by the Galaxy Brains Podcast. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey, it's showtime. You're watching The Hash on Coindesk TV. We're going to get you up to speed on what's going on in the world of crypto. I'm Zach Seward, Will Foxley, Jen Sinassi, Wendy O. Let's do this thing. Will has our first story of the day. What is up, Will? Zach, so businesslike this morning, so professional. I love to see it. Uh, let's go to Silvergate, which had shares price drop 40% after announced layoffs and a write-off on its acquisition of DM's technology stack, which occurred earlier this year. This follows, of course, after FTX exploded, which Silvergate was definitely involved with in a variety of ways. And we see that a lot of people have left Silvergate, assets leaving the crypto bank after FTX and its involvement with FTX was exposed. This is pretty big news because Silvergate is one of the only firms with a banking charter and involvement with crypto. A lot of times there's a segregation between these two different parts of the financial stack because a lot of regulators do not like crypto and banks being involved together. Silvergate is sort of a unicorn out there, and that's why it's so important to the greater crypto economy. Seeing shares sell 40% it's definitely a uh, frustration for a lot of people in crypto right now. And of course, more layoff news is not great news. Jen, I want to throw this one over to you. This is more troubling stories to begin the year on. Uh, January is already kicking pretty hard. Well, first of all, I just want to say RIP DM. I thought that Silvergate was going to you know, bring us the remnants of, of DM, like take the ashes and give us something. But I think that, you know, we're just never going to see anything from DM come to life. And that is a sad, sad ending for that project. Earlier in the week, the Wall Street Journal reported that federal regulators warned banks that holding crypto is inconsistent with safe ba banking practices. And I think that, you know, the fact that we had this unicorn bank, the fact that they're seeing so many struggles, they're really like, facing the brunt of the bear market and the FTX fallout isn't going to be good for regulation. Some of the quotes that kind of stood out for me from that story is this one. It is important that risks related to the crypto asset sector that cannot be mitigated or controlled do not migrate to the banking system. So unfortunately, I just think that this whole FTX thing has taken this industry so many steps backwards. We solved so many problems during the last 
bull market. We've taken a lot of steps backwards. I think it's going to be a real fight with regulators when it comes to crypto in the traditional banking system. And this doesn't make it any easier. Wendy? So I'm sad to see this kind of happen, but at the same time, they were able to withstand what was it, $8 billion in withdrawals, which is a massive, massive stress test. Like the fact that they were able to do that and still remain solvent thus far, to me, that's kind of a good sign. But again, not financial advice, not telling you to run over there and deposit your money. But I also want to credit David Silver, who is an outstanding attorney. He was talking about on Twitter, he was saying, I want, if something does happen with Silvergate and they do go under, will FDIC come in to kind of save the day? Because I do believe that they are um, insured under FDIC. And if that does happen, will they come in? Will they pick up the slack? Uh, Will they let them fail? And it would kind of be very interesting. I hope they don't fail. But if they do fail, they have to go the FDIC route and see if FDI, how FDIC actually works. Because again, it's still insurance. You're not guaranteed to get your money. And I believe it's only up to $250,000 per person. Zach? Yeah, I think the Silvergate story is in part the FTX story, right? They've been ensnared in this whole downfall. Something like $1 billion worth of deposits were linked to FTX and SVF's web of companies over at Silvergate. So there's been a lot of speculation and outright fear that Silvergate was somehow involved and would suffer immensely from the collapse of FTX and Alameda Research. So I think that's definitely something worth pointing out here. Also, just on the job front, I want to shout out uh, Coindesk for compiling some research about the number of jobs cut uh, since April. And you're looking at crypto jobs, uh, the loss of 27,000 crypto jobs as of January 5th, according to media reports and press releases. That's a significant chunk of people working in this industry who've been laid off, downsides since April, which is only what, seven, eight months ago, something like, something like that. So the fact that this is, uh, accelerating that number's upward climb speaks to the general environment that we're facing where crypto grew quite large in this last cycle. And it's also drawing down quite significantly here now in the winter, especially on the headcount side of things. So, you know, you mentioned these 200 jobs added to that pile of something like 27,000 by Coindesk's estimates in terms of the jobs lost as the prices tumble. Yeah, lots to talk about here, obviously. Will, I'm going to toss it back to you. Yeah, final thoughts for me, two parts. One, the $8 billion withdrawals that Wendy just mentioned, that's a lot of withdrawals on any platform, let alone a crypto platform. Crypto is pretty small. $8 billion is actually a pretty sizable amount of the total crypto market cap of all coins right now. So for them to be able to handle with those withdrawals is important. The caveat with that, of course, or the nuance there is that they had to sell a lot of these assets at a discount to cover those withdrawals, which does bring into question a lot of the backing that Silvergate has been using for its assets, right? If they're having to sell assets at a discount, that means those assets probably are not very liquid at the moment. If you look at other coins out there, notably stable coins, they often put those stable coins in things that are highly liquid, uh, like treasury securities and things of those nature. Why? Because if there is a sell-off, you're able to sell out at par with whatever asset you have on your books uh, in, into the market itself. Silvergate seemingly wasn't able to do that in some instances here. We need a little bit more information to really say that clearly, but they did say they had to sell some assets at a discount. Which leads to my second point, which is that regulators are looking at this, they're looking at Silvergate, they're looking at crypto banks, and they're, you know, this is not a great headline for them to read, to see that Shares have dropped 40%. They had to sell off a lot of assets at discount. That $8 billion worth of withdrawals was processed. That $8 billion number is probably a good thing for regulators to look at and be like, hey, they were able to process these withdrawals. But if you look at, at it in aggregate, you look at the FTX exposure, you look at the assets selling at a discount, you look at the share price. Regulators, I think they're going to look at this and be like, maybe there should be some more guidance or separation between cryptos and banks themselves. 
I think before we get into the next story, I think it would be a good counter for regulators if Silvergate does actually survive and it'll be a positive argument for the future. But we got to talk about Telegram. I remember using Telegram my early days in crypto. That's where all of the news was going on, where all the groups are going on. You got to network, talk with people. And of course, a bunch of very interesting shady characters would reach out to me on Telegram and I would block them. Anyways, Telegram related Ton Foundation enters crypto storage market. Ton storage is being built on Ton Foundation, the POS chain created by the Telegram founders. And I want to say there was like a legal issue with Telegram, but I don't have that in front of me. I want to say the SEC got upset at them or something. But anyways, to me, the most important part is the decentralization of it to an extent. Users can create change safely, the guarantee that all data will be secured, backed up and encrypted, and can also exchange files of any size while providing financial incentives to node operators to host files. I actually do want to toss this over to Will because I feel like he is our tech person. Well, at least he's more tech savvy than I am. Oh, I'll take this one. For sure, Telegram is the watering hole for all things crypto. I think Discord had a moment there, but kind of died off because it's hard to use. If you're involved in a Telegram group, you know how it operates, right? You're in a message chat, talk with a lot of people, exchange ideas. What Telegram has not had, however, is crypto tokens and storage. I mean, you can store a lot of things on top of Telegram, but not really necessarily secure and doesn't have a lot of the innovations things like the Filecoin network do have. That is the ability to store data and then get paid for it or just dump data on someone else's storage in a decentralized fashion and pay for it. Otherwise, you have to go to big operators like AWS, Google Cloud, things of that nature. And people out there, crypto developers, want a world where everything is decentralized, including storage. And that's where you bring in this crypto token idea. So there's a lot of innovation that can be brought here. And I think it makes sense for Telegram to continue pursuing one of its largest user bases, that is crypto users, by offering new products like this. We know that they've tried to launch a few different crypto tokens over the year. I think they did launch the TON token, T-O-N, earlier last year after a few failed attempts. So that's a pretty new innovation for the chain. But adding any sort of storage technology to Telegram itself could be a pretty big boon for the network. Jen, throw it over to you for your take. Yeah, so Wendy, I know you mentioned some trouble with the SEC there. So in 2018, Telegram developed a Telegram open network. They raised $1.7 billion in a private sale and then abandoned the project after the SEC investigated that. So in 2022, developers saved it, rebranded as, as the open network. I think that this is really cool when we think about this like decentralized internet that we are heading towards at a very, very slow pace. Decentralized file storage is something that's needed, right? You think about all of these people who are creating. Wendy, I think about you as a creator. You know, you upload all of these files onto all of these different platforms. And, you know, what happens if these platforms go down? What happens to all of your files? I think that this is a great solution. I still am in the, I guess I still am kind of on the fence about how we get people to use this. And so, Wendy, I kind of turn it back to you. What is it going to take to get people to understand what decentralized file storage is? and actually use it so that we can inch closer to that decentralized internet. Thank you for turning it back to me, Jen. Um, So I'm reading some of the notes here, and it says a node operator and user can create a smart contract that guarantees that users will pay a fixed amount in ton to store files for a predetermined amount of time. Anyone can become a node operator and receive payments from other users for hosting files. This is great for decentralization, but at the same time, when I hear about starting a node or running a node, I think about when I tried to do a master node myself and that type of stuff, how complex it was. It wasn't even complex. It was just really frustrating because I'm not the most tech savvy person. So they're going to have to go about it in a way to where it's like one click and go. Um, back to you while I saw your hand. Yeah, one other thing I want to bring up is how 
Telegram actually stores data right now, which is not very secure. A lot of people think that Telegram is some sort of great privacy application. And it's only privacy if you click on it, right? If you say like, hey, I want privacy. It's not privacy by default like it is with Signal or other applications. Right now, they actually store a lot of people's data in plain text on servers. And that is not a great way to store any sort of data because it can just be swiped and then doesn't have to be decrypted. It can just be published out there. Great way to get all your information hacked out on the internet. So I would like to see more of that change with Telegram. What I do see with this sort of plan here is the ability to monetize the fact that Telegram does store a lot of data on behalf of other people. And if they're able to add some sort of decentralized project in here, add some utility for its token, then Telegram might have a pathway to actually monetize the fact that it's hosting so much data on behalf of other people without being paid for it right now. Zach, I'll boot it up to you for your take though. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing here is that like Telegram's lawyers are probably really mad that we're saying that this is Telegram because it's definitely not Telegram and they definitely remind you of that repeatedly. This is like some outside thing. It's not related to Telegram because remember, Telegram did an ICO and got slapped down real hard by the SEC. Then some other people, we don't know who, some other people came along and brought it up from the ashes. So this is definitely not like Telegram, the actor doing this thing. This is something that like, the Telegram open network is adding as a feature to hopefully entice people to use the thing. I don't know. I think the storage market is kind of crowded, right? You have storage, you have Filecoin, you have Arweave, you have all these things out here that provide like decentralized, like permanent storage. And it's sort of like an arms race, I guess, to get big institutions, like academic institutions, companies using these things. I like that Ton here is saying we can do this in a more sort of peer-to-peer fashion where it may be like, you know, more consumer level applications that we're talking about rather than something like we want to get massive, like, you know, petabytes onto the network ASAP by going to big companies who have data that they want to store in this way. So I don't know. It'll be, I'm curious to see how they really like carve out a slice of the pie relative to the Arweaves or the Filecoins of the world. That to me is the open question. That's definitely not Telegram, you guys. It's a ton. That's all I got to say. <laughs> hey, Will Foxley here, co host of the Hash. One thing we can take away from everything going on in crypto right now is that it's important to go deep and verify. Crypto Twitter is great, but 280 characters can only go so far. One podcast we love is Galaxy Brains. Here's the host, Alex Thorne, head of research at Galaxy Digital. Thanks, Will. For in-depth takes and probing analysis on topics, trends, and events across the Bitcoin and cryptocurrency ecosystem, check out Galaxy Brains, our weekly podcast. Find Galaxy Brains on your favorite podcast app and on galaxy.com forward slash research. Presented to you by one of the most trusted teams in the industry. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Hash. We are going to talk about some NFTs, but not in a fun way. All right. CloneX COO Nikhil Gopalani and prominent NFT collector CryptoNovo lost NFTs estimated to be worth hundreds of thousands of dollars to some scammers. The dozens of NFTs stolen included three CryptoPunks, a Bored Ape, a Mutant Ape, three MeBits, and two CloneX NFTs. In both cases, the hacker took over the wallets and sold the NFTs for hundreds of thousands of dollars. The attacker also appeared to take over Crypto Novo's Discord. Wendy, I'm kicking this one off to you first. It looks like there was some kind of sophisticated phishing hack happening here. And it's just interesting to see really prominent figures in the industry also fall victim to these attacks and lose their NFTs. It's kind of sad. 
Yeah, so I kind of covered this yesterday on my show, but I was like a hot mess, so it was hard for me to understand. But I just, I'm just feeling like, I'm just not understanding why people are not practicing good OPSEC. Like, and I understand that stuff can mm-hmm. happen, but like when I go, for example, when I go to crypto events or NFT events, and those are the, the POOP events where you have to like have your NFT to get in, I don't bring my NFTs with me. And I know that sounds weird because they're supposed to be like intangible digital assets, whatever it is, but people carry their, they literally carry like, millions of dollars worth of their phone on MetaMask without backing up with a ledger and stuff like that. So it's really sad to see. I hate to see anybody lose. But at the same time, we do need to practice better security. And I think this all kind of stems back to Bitcoin. We all need to go back and read the Bitcoin white paper, understand what self-sovereignty means, understand what personal accountability means, because it's all in there. It's just not really phrased maybe in that manner. So my heart goes out to this person that got hacked. It's never fun getting hacked or losing money. But what, you know, when are we going to start making better decisions as a whole? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great point, right? Like self-sovereignty is, uh, you know, great responsibility and you have to sort of treat that as such, right? Being your own bank kind of sucks, but if you want to be your own bank and you want to be sovereign from the existing financial system, you do have to take those precautions to make sure that you're safely holding your assets in a way that doesn't expose you to instances such as this, which do suck. And our hearts go out to people who get pilfered of, you know, what and sometimes, you know, represents a significant amount of, of money, right? This is something that I think, you know, one of the people who was targeted here is at least trying to sort of stay positive and hope that those who have bought his stolen punks are at least enjoying them. So it's like, it, it is, it is sort of, it's, it's gut-wrenching to see this happen time and time again, right? We talked about the Bitcoin developer whose PGP was compromised and we saw his Bitcoins being drained from cold storage of all places, right? And there is this sort of like increasing escalation of scammers and other people who are able to exploit these things, getting increasingly sophisticated and increasingly targeting sophisticated people who've been in the space for a long time. So again, it's a really bad look, I think, for newcomers to the space who say, oh, geez, like this is dicey. Like these people, oh my God, like the founder of this project just got scammed. I have no chance. So I think people are sort of seeing this and saying that. And it does uh, really leave a black eye, I think, for the industry as it, as it seeks to figure out sort of better self-custody options. And I think there is going to be some innovation on that front, right? Self-custody with sort of social backups or other recovery mechanisms that can be sort of a bit more foolproof than some of the existing solutions that are out there. We'll see who gets to make it and uh, see who gets to market first. Will, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think we have a lot of new utilities, a lot of new use cases for crypto, but we all have the same end point for crypto, right? The same end use of it. And that's like the seed phrases, right? We are going to hold on to the seed phrases. So whether you have a DeFi lending position open, or you just have crypto in a wallet, or if you have an NFT, guess what happens? You, it's all backed up by a seed phrase at some point. And even though those are different applications, you still have the same security, right? But we shouldn't always think about these things in the same way, even though they all have the same seed phrases. So yes, your NFT might have liquid value, but at the same time, it's just a picture. And maybe you should put that in storage and think of it like artwork. Or if you have a lending position open, maybe you can be like a little bit more open with that because you're using it uh, on a day-to-day basis. Or if you have crypto tokens, you put that in cold storage, you might even go put that in a bank vault if you have a lot of it. Just have different security measurements for different risk factors based on whatever products you're using. Just because they all use seed phrases doesn't mean you shouldn't think about these things in different ways. Like Twindy, to your point, definitely should not be taking your NFTs to some sort of party just to show that you were there. That's a great time to practice the right-click save, take a picture of it and get into the party that way, as opposed to getting all your NFTs pilfered just because you wanted to go to that nightclub that night. I do think that we're going to see more of these stories play out over the next year because we're in a bear market and these stories are going to be more interesting. This was a big storyline during the bull market 
with a lot of these crypto punks and board type yacht clubs getting swiped just because people didn't know what they were doing. They were new to NFTs and they got swiped very easily. But now that we're in a bear market, I think we're going to see some of these high profile people get swiped, just like with Luke Dash Jr., the Bitcoin core developer the other day. Because there's not a lot of stories going on right now, and this is about the same rate of people getting swiped is occurring. So that is my final takeaway from it. Jen, I'll throw it back to you for your final thoughts. Yeah, I think a lot of people always think it's just not going to happen to them, right? They think like, oh, I'll make a more secure password maybe the next time I log in. I'm not going to use a password manager because maybe it's too difficult for me to figure out now. It's not hard. Use a password manager. Don't click on links you don't know. And don't fill out random forms that are asking for information from you that you probably shouldn't be giving out. Just be vigilant out there. It can and will happen to you. I don't mean to be a fear mongerer, but just be safe. Use a password manager and just think twice before you click on links and fill out forms with your information. Zach? I'm scared. I'm scared. All right. Anyway, Jen. <laughs> I don't uh, want to scare we'll you just, guys. You're scared. <laughs> you're scared. I'm going away. All right. Anyway. It was the honey uh, onion that made her so sassy this morning. <laughs> this really cleared things up. Cold remedies here on The Hash. All right. We're changing gears. We're staying in NFTs. We're talking about Fanatics, big old company in sports, merchandise, apparel, collectibles. They own Tops, which is a physical card company that's been around for a very long time. They also were the majority owner of a digital platform called Candy that provided NFTs in the sports realm, famously in MLB, but also in other arenas. They are out of this thing entirely. They're selling their 60% stake. They don't want nothing to do with it. They think this thing is silly. They would rather their investors have some amount of the invested cash than whatever this is going to be worth in the future. Some pretty interesting uh, details in the report from CNBC, which claims to have seen an email to investors, but some pretty sort of damning characterizations of fanatics seeing NFTs as not very great. So they want out. They're out, they're out of Candy Digital. They're giving it back. I think it was Mike Novogratz and some others led the effort to buy their stake. And that is the deal with Candy and Fanatics. I'll toss it over to Wendy. What do you think, Wendy? This was heralded as a big win for NFTs when it was announced. And now Fanatics is saying, I'm taking my ball, I'm going home. The thing is, is like with crypto and NFTs, Bitcoin, it's kind of a long-term thing. You can't just come in for like a couple months and expect to make it, expecting things to go through. Every single company in crypto is still operating in beta. I'm going to say it again. Every single company in crypto, whether it is a crypto service, whether it is a plat, whatever it is, coin, they're still technically in beta. Like this industry is so new and people expect results super fast compared to the traditional industries. And it doesn't happen that way. I feel like we forget the aspect of entrepreneurism. So sad to see them go. But at the same time, they'll be back next cycle. That was exactly my take. I was like, Fanatics was here for a good time, not a long time. (laughs) They're out. There was um, a quote from the CEO, Michael Rubin, who cited an imploding NFT market that's seen precipitous drops in both transaction volumes and prices for standalone NFTs. It just makes me think that they didn't really get the point. They were part of the FOMO group, the hype cycle. There, I think there are probably a lot of NFT projects that got spun up over the bull cycle that, are just, that have been scrapped by a lot of major brands. And they'll be back. Fanatics, have, they've sold their 60%. They can partner with another marketplace. Candy doesn't only do sports NFTs, though. They also were responsible for the Netflix Stranger Things NFTs. So maybe we're going to see uh-huh. some more entertainment NFTs on that platform. But Zach, what do you think? 
Yeah, I mean, I think they had some like notable intellectual property deals, right? You mentioned Stranger Things, you got MLB, you got all sorts of things. I think World Wrestling Entertainment is in there. So yeah. big brands that, you know, they kind of follow, I guess, the dapper model of enlisting big brands to help get these collectibles into the hands of as many people as possible. But according to Fanatics, that was simply not enough. Quote, over the past year, it has become clear that NFTs are unlikely to be sustainable or profitable as a standalone business, end quote. That's what Michael Rubin wrote. And he is not really feeling the whole thing. I don't know. Will, what are your last thoughts on this? Get out of here. <laughs> yeah, last thoughts Seriously. on it. Interesting to see Galaxy jump into this again. Galaxy's been making a lot of moves during the bear market. So definitely a firm to be watching. And then just to Wendy's point, like, are they going to be back? And I think you could say yes. I mean, at the top of this, it was worth $1.5 billion, according to some valuations. And if we look at NFT marketplaces, you can assume about 80 to 90% off of that. If you look at Fanatics, which had like, a lot of different corporations side of this thing, not really crypto native. Probably look at that and be like, yeah, this is a nice write-off, which we'll is cut it, peace, let's get out of here. I think a lot of crypto natives would be like, hey, we're only down 85%, that's not too bad. But if you look at a big corporation that's really working on the margins for pennies, this is something that they probably did not expect and they just want to get away from it. So that's my final take on it. Wendy, to you. My final take is that when the Netflix releases the documentary or Amazon Prime or whoever on SBF and FTX, like how, like they're going to need this platform. It's going to be important. They're going to make NFTs based off of that. Come on, man. Can't maybe three euros there. capital. We don't know. There's, we don't know. All right. That's it for the show today. We have one last <laughs> note from the crypto Twitter files. What a world. Kyle Davies of three euros capital served via Twitter. Subpoenaed on twitter.com. <laughs> That's not great. Three arrows <laughs> capital is... imploded, was getting a little bit uh, loud out there on the timeline in the wake of the FTX implosion. And now we get to see this. Good times. Well, not good times, but absurd times. We'll leave it there. Wendy, what do you think? I can't believe that's real. Uh, this tw Crypto Twitter is literally for the streets. And that's all that I'm going to say. This is like, <laughs> again, we yes, the other day, I think on Monday, which was a hol banking holiday, we literally had like rich people arguing back and forth, equivalent to JP Morgan, Wells Fargo CEOs, arguing back and forth. And now we have this. It's like, what, what else can we expect? This is only the first week of 2023. And here we are. Well, we'll be here next week and the week after that, and we will be talking about that and more. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. 